No worries. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the next installment of the Florida Housing Hour. Industry insiders and valuable in-depth conversations with real estate professionals, all industry people talking about home inspectors and agents and insurance agents and appraisers and anybody that we can convince to come on the show. So today I have with me in the studio, Janet Paula, Century 21 Circle. She is a real estate agent in the Valrico area and all of everywhere, really, Orlando and Gulf and uh, pretty much anywhere you can drive to, right? Pretty what I've much. seen in the past. So Janet joins us with a lot of experience in real estate, and we're just going to get in and start talking about her outlook on things and uh, let you know a little bit about the Florida Housing Hour. We are a podcast here based in Tampa, and there's no restraints on this show. So we don't have a, a set format. We don't have a set time limit or anything. So we just get into topics, start talking, we will get into headlines. We're going to play a little bit of trivia. We want to, our audience is going to be our fellow professionals, our industry professionals in the field, and the people who want to live in Florida. That's why it's called the Florida Housing Hour. You know, if we were looking at relocating or get some insights on the housing market, how it works, what the market's like, what our opinions are, what guests' opinions are, that's what it's all about. You know, just bringing some information and bringing some, uh, hopefully, some insight that you don't typically get until you're in with whoever you're working with, right? Exactly. That's that's really what we're going for. So first question is uh, tell us a little bit about Janet and some background and what Janet does and, uh, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm originally from Massachusetts. I was born and raised there. I moved here probably when I was my early 20s. And when I moved here, I became a property manager for well over 12 years. I don't know how many years. Hmm. And a property manager for like an apartment building or for like um, individual owners? Individual owners in particular. There were like three owners that I worked with and it was all houses. And one was a big condo that had five units. Um, other than that, I decided to take it easy with that for a little while. And then I chose to get into the cosmetology career and realized real quickly that was not for me. <laughs> I'd say after about a year and a half of doing that. And then my father just one day told me, hey, you'd be a really great real estate agent. Why don't you try? Why don't you join a class, get your license and see how that goes? Because I always had property management to fall back on. And he just convinced me. I literally looked up classes and one started the next morning <laughs> and I just went for it. Wow. What year was that? 2014. Okay. All right. So you started school, real estate school in 2014. Yes. The you, end of the year. You get licensed in 15 then? I did. Okay. And then where did you go from that point? So I went straight to a family friend who I actually bought my house from and asked him, Who's what that? should I do? Where should I go? His name is Jeff Chandler. He's with River Hills Realty. Okay. And he's a broker. He is the broker of River Hills Realty. So I went to him and I asked him, what should I do? Where should I start? Can I come work for you? Like, I had no idea what to do and how to do it. And he just looked at me dead in the face and said, no, I don't want you working for me. I want you to get experience. I want you to get educated and then come back and work for me. You need it. And I just said, okay, well, where should I go? (laughs) 
And he said, hey, I got this good friend, Jeff Shaw. You should go talk to him. And it was kind of like a done Shout deal. Shout out to Jeff Shaw. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Jeff He's Shaw, a, Shaw yeah, Realty. A legendary name in the real estate business around here. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And as soon as Jeff Chandler told me to talk to Shaw, I talked to Shaw, and the rest is history. I joined the same day. Okay. So that's 2015, right? Yes. So you're in your eighth year. I am. Awesome. Feels like a lot longer. <laughs> yeah, real estate years are... And they're kind of like dog years, right? <laughs> At least <laughs> seven to one. Mm -hmm, that's funny. So what? Um, that you know, one of my questions is what? What made you decide to join that company? But it sounds like you know you met the you met the man there. You know, somebody who'd been in it for that long. What? Well, what? Dis what made you decide to to stay there? I had well, there was an office manager back then. I did not talk to him, which was surprising. I talked to another female recruiter within the office and she just kind of looked at me and said do you want to meet Jeff and I said sure and we literally sat in the conference room and talked about fishing the entire time we <laughs> didn't even talk real estate and he talked about how he worked with Jeff Chandler for over 20 years and you know all the ins and outs of all of it and I just felt like he was a home person he he knew what he was talking about he's family first and work second and that was it. Mm -hmm. I just said, I don't need to interview anybody else. That's cool. Back when I took my real estate class, Bob Hogue, 2004, they taught out of the office there at Shaw Realty. They did right up until a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. I guess maybe COVID. Was that when they it stopped? It was COVID. And uh, Jeff came in and did a, he was a guest teacher for one of the nights. You know, it was a, it was a nightly class, like five to nine or something like that every night, five to 10, something and uh, he was in there as a guest teacher when our other teacher, Howard, was absent or whatever. I guess Jeff was the substitute <laughs> for that time. <laughs> or but the yeah, fill-in. Wealth of knowledge, lots of good experience out of that office for sure. Very well known and well regarded oh, yes. in, the, in the market. So that's great. So you say you're from Massachusetts. I am. What part of Massachusetts? Well, I was born in western, northwestern Mass. It's called Greenfield. And I moved all over the place for the first eight years of my life. But then we settled down just in, outside of Boston and Worcester County. And shortly after that, we moved to Cape Cod. And I spent my major teen years and early 20s in Cape Cod. So what year did you come here? 2006. 06, okay. So 06 to 15 is when you got licensed. So you are, this is episode number six. Mm -hmm. And... It's you, let me think back, you, Ryan, David, Elena. So four out of six are transplants that have been on the show so far. Mm -hmm. David's also Massachusetts. Ryan was New York. Oh, we have a standing joke. Elena was New York. Um, Jonathan was here. He was born in Puerto Rico, but he, he got here when he was a baby, so we don't count that. Yeah, so everybody, so... You're you're right in the in the exact same vein that we talk about here all the time is transplants and you know comparisons compare and contrast to different parts of the nation. Oh yeah, Florida, right? So we like to talk about why Florida. You know why was that the place that you landed? Well, I could actually tell you honestly, it was because my mom was terminally ill, mm. and I came here to take care of her in April, and she passed in June of 2006, and I just kind of looked. My husband, which at the time was only my boyfriend in the eye, and I told him, I'm moving to Florida. My dad needs me. Bye-bye. Mm -hmm. 
and he packed and we kind of just went together. So let's back it up a generation. Why did your parents choose Florida? Okay. (laughs) So we've always had a condo in Florida since I could remember. And the only reason they bought that condo is because my uncle Chris, he played for Tampa Bay Bucks. Okay. So it was a place that they bought together with the two brothers, and then my mom was in on it. And then when he went from the Bucks to Kansas City Chiefs, he sold his portion to my parents. So my parents only lived maybe two months out of the year here, if that. And I would come with them, and you know we would come in April and February every year, and occasional November here and there, but. In the end of the day, it was, okay, let's sell this condo. Let's buy a house so we have something that we can retire in. And they started spending six months a year in Florida, mm-hmm. but they bought in River Hills. And to this day, I mean, my dad still is part owner of it. Yeah. It's okay. for sale now, unfortunately. So Florida's always been sort of a second home yes. to your family. Well, so, a vacation home. Yeah. So in it's an like aspect. A, a natural progression. Oh, yes. To be here. Well, that's cool. So what are your what are your immediate comparisons to the Northeast, to Massachusetts, to Florida? What are your immediate things that come to mind when you compare the two? So I do that a lot. <laughs> You'd be surprised. Um, as far as weather, I prefer the seasons. I hate the snow. Mm-hmm. So the fact that it doesn't snow in Florida, well, at least where I live, I love it. Um Now, as far as everything else, money-wise, housing-wise, you know, surviving, getting through, if you're not, you know, making money a certain month, can I live off my husband's paycheck? Absolutely. So in Massachusetts, we made phenomenal money. And that was one of the hardest things for us to leave behind was the money. But on top of making phenomenal money, we were also spending phenomenal money on rent, right. on food. Everything was just more expensive there. It's all relative. Cost of living is all relative. To about, you know, yes. What I've heard you need at least 150000 a year to live in New York City mm-hmm. just to live, you know, just to maintain yourself. And, exactly. And yeah, I could see that. Yeah. And, you know, back then I worked the family businesses, so I was making whatever I wanted to make kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And... I really didn't see myself moving to Florida as a younger teenager, early 20s. I wasn't thinking about it. But then when my mom got terminally ill, it was a no-brainer. My dad's going to stay here full time. He's going to sell everything. I'm going. Mm -hmm. And my mom left me a chunk of change. We bought a house with that chunk of change. And that was it. It was a better life for us. You know, we hadn't had a mortgage payment in ever yeah, right. <laughs> um all we had was house insurance hoa and car payment mm-hmm. when we first moved and that was great so working off his little check was fine did your husband do the same work up there that he does here no so he completely changed fields well he stayed in the car industry um what he does here he's a service manager at nissan of brandon however over there, he was just detailing cars. He had his own company, mm-hmm. and he would go to the different dealerships and you know work with them, mm-hmm. mostly BMW. I think we stuck it with BMW more than anything, but he did you know leave behind a company that he ended up giving to his brother and just kind of took it from there. Okay, all right, awesome. Well, that's a you've been rooted here for a while, so I have, and you've been selling real estate here for a while too, so. That's a, 
I'd have to find it. I'd have to think it'd be hard for somebody to, to come here immediately and start being a real estate salesperson. <laughs> right. Because I feel like if you don't know anything about anything in the market or the lay of the land or communities or anything like that, it's going to be tough to be able to absolutely go out and sell your experience to people. You know, Cause I think that's what a lot of people are looking for is experience. Exactly. I have a friend who is working her way from the Chicago area down here She's licensed in both states. I've helped her on a couple of deals of her own personal deals, as well as we work deals together here in Florida because she just doesn't know Florida yet. Mm-hmm. And I've told her, vacation here. Yeah. That's how you're going to learn. Mm-hmm. If you think you want to move here and you want to bring your real estate career here, you need to vacation here. And you need to explore everything. Yeah, maybe not vacation at Disney World, but no. maybe go <laughs> and get an Airbnb somewhere, maybe in you know, New Tampa or Valrico and get Feel it. Feel the city. Feel the what it's like to commute and drive and what it's like to to go places and shop and, you know, feel where the people are, how the population is. Exactly. I've always I, I said it before that um, to get a really good idea of what the of where you're trying to move to or what the what the place is like, you should go to their Walmart a few times <laughs> and check that out. You know, how well is their Walmart run? Is there people in there you can get along with or is it really the, you know, people of Walmart type? Well, in Cape Cod, that's kind of hard. There's only one Walmart, and it was an hour away from where I lived. Mm -hmm. So didn't really go to Walmart often. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, maybe Target then, if there is a Target. There is now, but not when I lived there. Mm -hmm. It was Kmart. So that's good advice. to. That's a question that I usually ask people is, what would you tell people looking to relocate? How do they get the lay of land, right? They come and vacation, visit. Oh, yes. A few weeks at a time, maybe... Come down here as often as you can for as long as you can and and learn it. That's probably the best way to do it. Or if you have family, obviously, mm-hmm. family and friends can help you kind of understand where to be. You know, I've I've known my first job in, well, my first real job, non-high school job in uh, about year 2000, there was a huge number of people that moved down here from Illinois. And I got to watch them learn things you know because I was this my I'm a native you know this is my backyard forever and I got to watch them figure out where they're going to live and some people bought way too far away from where they were working and their commute turned into a nightmare and they it didn't need to be you know they just wanted whatever reason they wanted to be in this part of town and uh, I watched them make some mistakes there and then move and sell and buy a different place and you know, they always used to laugh at our downtown and our skyline because oh, yes. you could see it from our <laughs> office window. And I remember one guy, we had the window open one day and he was like, what's that over there? Pointing at the skyline. I was like, oh, that's downtown Tampa. And he's like, what? Really? <laughs> that's downtown Tampa? I'm like, yeah, man, we're no Chicago. You know, it's uh, what is there, a dozen buildings there at the time and like 2000. And now it's it's grown a little bit, but it's still not massive. You know, it's still not a huge downtown compared to Chicago or New York or something like that. Or Boston. By any means, yeah. <laughs> they don't get that high in the first place. And then second, there's just not that many of them. So I always thought that was funny just to see people. And then in the in the industry, it just it's never stopped. You know, Florida has been a destination for years, oh, yes. decades. You know, that's where Florida, that's where the population came from. People coming here, retiring here. And it's never going to stop, I feel like. Yeah, I don't see that stopping. Yeah. I thought, you know, with COVID, maybe, but 
and people were coming from California, New York, New Jersey, nonstop. And now it's just everybody's coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it it's... It's, it's they don't make more beachfront property. They don't make more waterfront. You know, the weather is a real driver of getting people here to stay because you've only got so many years of shoveling snow in your life, you know, until you can't take it anymore. So you have to go south. And I think mine was 22 years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine. You know, I've I lived in when I lived in Charlotte, it snowed one time and the whole city shut down, literally like everything got canceled no trash, no businesses were open. It was like an unheard of thing for them. And it wasn't even a lot of snow. It was like a couple of inches, like <laughs> on my car hood, you know, maybe three, four inches on the hood. And then you, you still could see the streets and stuff. And obviously you don't want to be driving around in that if you don't know what you're doing, but it took them a couple of days to react to it and get the snow trucks out and the, you know, the salt on the roads and all the stuff that they do. But I remember I had an appointment with a CPA that day and I didn't know any better. So I just got out and went to it. It wasn't far from my house or from the apartment we were in. And I showed up and the building was open, but there was nobody in the building. And I'm walking. It was one of these where it has an office suite, you know, like a multi oh, yes. multiplex type thing. And I'm looking under the door, the lights on, nobody's answering. So I pull out my Blackberry at the moment, and I see that I've got an email from him, and he's saying, hey, we're going to cancel. It snowed last night. <laughs> that was it. It's like a couple inches, dude. Get <laughs> yeah. over it. That was it. So we're not built for that, and, and neither are they. I know they are built for that in the Northeast, though. They totally expect it. What I find the funny, there. there's a landscaping truck that I see in my neighborhood all the time, and on the stickers on the car, it offers snow plowing. Mm. And I'm sitting there going, snow plowing in Florida. Did he move here from somewhere else or is it a joke? It's a big company. I forget the name of it, but I'll have to send you a picture one day. That's (laughs) funny. That's funny. So how do you, who do you primarily work with? Are you a mix of buyers and sellers or do you focus on one or the other? I'm a steady mix. I'd Mm -hmm. say it is 50-50. Before it used to be I was a buyer's agent, strictly like 80% buyer's agent, but you're never going to make it in the business unless you're a listing agent too. Mm-hmm. So about 2018, I learned that the hard way and I became a listing agent as well. And are you hundred percent solo or do you have a team that you work with? Oh, I'm definitely solo. I do have, you know, relationships with other agents and, and that's key in this business is mm-hmm. having friends and they can help you when you're on vacation. You can help them when they're on vacation, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. You like to vacation too, don't you? I do. Where's the last place you went? Um, I had to ask Brazil. Okay. Is where's the farthest place you went? That was my next question. Um, well, I don't know which is further, Hawaii or Italy. Yeah, from us in Florida, I guess. Yeah, maybe Hawaii's farther. Hawaii but. was because they break up the flight. I don't really recall, mm-hmm. and we had a horrible experience with that flight going there so we won't talk about that (laughs) um but we were diverted so we didn't even land where we were supposed to so i don't even know how long that was supposed to be yeah you're just in it for the but hopefully hopefully you get there for the most part you know when we go to brazil it's six hours nonstop. but sometimes we'll break it up and go to panama for a couple of days Mm -hmm. or whatever and you have family there we do Mm -hmm. 
actually working on getting my husband's grandma here, so she should be here in the end of the month. But we do have other family. And have you been all around Brazil, or do you just go to one spot and kind of stay there? I'd say we've covered maybe 40 or 50% of Brazil. Okay. It's huge. It there's is, no yeah. way I could cover it all. And there's certain areas I would never go to. Right. How, how big is Brazil? Like, is it comparable to a state, or is it like... Oh, you'd have to Google that. No, it looks huge. It, it's huge. Just one of their states is equivalent to our state, so... And there's a lot of states there. And we've been probably five or six of them. It says it's 86% the size of the United States. So, so yeah. that's big. It's yeah, huge. It's a lot. It is very, I mean, I know, I don't, I'm not an expert in geography, but I always knew Brazil took a big, huge piece of uh, South America. It does. Big part of it. Well, that's cool. Yeah. I'm not much of a traveler. It's kind of by choice. I just don't care to go places. I don't know. I don't well, know what it's about with me. <laughs> you travel vicariously through me. There yeah, you go. That's right. A lot of people do. Mm-hmm. So speaking of uh, family and travel and stuff, how do you manage work-life balance? Like I said, having those relationships really helps. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Paula McConaughey is one of the agents I lean heavily on. Another one is Jessica Walker. And my manager, Karen Walker, as well, that's her daughter. I will lean heavily on certain people and say, hey, I'm going to be gone from this time to this time. So going forward, I'm going to add you on this deal, but I need you to be there if they need something. Mm -hmm. And that's not a problem with, you know, anybody these days. I'll be there. I'll help you. I'll do the inspection. I'll show them 10 properties if I have to. And, you know, just having friendships and keeping them strong that's right. really yeah having being able to trust those people yes to, to take care of things yeah that's great it's always good to have so can you talk a little bit about how the real estate is uh it's not a nine to five thing so it's, it's never been nine to five <laughs> right it's kind of like you're part of your life isn't it like it you, is. doesn't really leave you when you go home and it's there in the morning right when you wake up and so i have learned over the years and this is something i've been doing for quite a few years now my phone goes in do not disturb mode at 10 o'clock and it That's comes fair. out of it at 8 a.m. Mm-hmm. Because I have no problem answering a call as long as I'm awake. But by 10, I want to calm down for the night. I want to have a glass of wine, maybe. If not, I just I want to watch something without my phone going off. Mm-hmm. So unless you're on my little list that can get through, you're not getting through to me. Mm-hmm. I always wonder, you know, how much how what really can be an emergency at 10 o'clock in real estate? Everything. <laughs> You'd be surprised. Um, I've worked several people that they only call me after 11 o'clock for some reason. And, you know, if you're in Italy, let's say, which I've worked a couple of people from Italy, mm-hmm. I understand the time, yeah, difference. time difference. So right. I make myself available and we'll schedule calls. But, you know, somebody that lives in Tampa that's selling her house in Tampa that's having a panic attack at 10 o'clock at night, I'm sorry, I'm not answering you. Mm-hmm. We'll talk in the morning. And I'll text her, you know, just to be like, hey, it's family time. I'm getting the kids ready for bed. We'll talk in the morning. Yeah. And she'll be okay with that. I think that. that's <laughs> that's very reasonable. 10 o'clock's far into the night. So 9 to 5 has never been. Mm-hmm. Um, I've tried that. I've even tried telling people I don't take calls after 8 o'clock at night. 
but that never works. Nobody mm-hmm. listens. So you really got to be strong. You got to be that agent that shuts yourself off mm-hmm. or else you're going to be bothered. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. And that eight o'clock conversation can sometimes keep you awake till midnight, you know, cause yes. you're trying to wind down and shut down and, you know, be a person instead of just an agent at that point. <laughs> and no, I get it. That's, that's definitely points to consider. What would, uh, what would you tell someone brand new to the industry? how to handle that kind of stuff. You know, they don't have the quote unquote luxury of a lot of people that like them and have worked with them before and, you know, a past client database or, or whatever. What do you tell people who are fresh to it? I tell them to set boundaries. Mm-hmm. Tell yourself what time you want to stop and then turn yourself off. Now, if you're telling yourself you want to stop at six o'clock at night, you're never going to make it in this business. Right, That might not be the answer. So I tell them, you know, eight, nine o'clock, those are reasonable hours, believe it or not. Um, not starting before 8 o'clock in the morning. Even if you get that text at 6.30, you're awake at 6.30 taking care of the kids, don't answer it till 8 o'clock. Mm-hmm. It's going to show that person that you're not available till 8 o'clock. Everything can wait. And that's one thing I learned the hard way. It can wait. <laughs> don't worry. Nobody's going to be working at 6 o'clock in the morning. So if I'm trying to reach you on your personal cell... You're not going to answer me at six o'clock in the morning. Very good chance I'm still asleep. <laughs> exactly. Six o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I go so, through spurts. Sometimes I'll be up at five and, you know, really be cranking for the week. Mm-hmm. And other times I can't get moving till eight o'clock. You know, it depends. Well, the way I've switched. on the week prior. I switched my kids over to all homeschool recently. And it's the best thing I ever did. Mm-hmm. I don't have to wake up at six o'clock anymore, but my body still wakes me up. It's something I've been doing mm-hmm. since my 21 year old was in kindergarten. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, six, I think six is a good time to be up because, I mean, that's, I think that's a great wake up time. I'm up. I'm I know just not functioning until after the first cup of coffee. Four in the morning. And I'm like, you're, you're nuts. Something's <laughs> wrong with that. <laughs> that's crazy. I don't know what time you have to go to bed. For that to make sense. I don't know. No idea. So you mentioned uh, work in family business before you got in mm-hmm. to real estate. What what kind of businesses were those? What were you doing? So my father owned a bunch of hotels. It was all hospitality management in my background. Mm-hmm. Um, he owned three hotels and a restaurant in Massachusetts. And then he moved here. Well, I wouldn't say moved because he didn't quite make the full move. But he came here and he bought a restaurant in Englewood. So we had two restaurants and three hotels that we were constantly running together as a family. So how do you think that experience helps you with what you do today? Well, he made me go through all the training. Sendent Corporation is a huge deal in the hotel industry. Mm -hmm. I've heard of them. And they trained me in all aspects of hospitality management. I mean, I even did maintenance training and housekeeping training I got my lifeguard certificate. Uh, we needed it, so <laughs> couldn't open a pool without it. Mm-hmm. Didn't have to be on site, but we had to have at least two people licensed. Mm-hmm. And so I did it. I mean, I think having all that background just made me a people person to yeah, begin that's, with. That's all that is very customer service driven, mm-hmm. right? Hospitality, that's like the definition of people. customer service driven. <laughs> so yeah, I think you really see that a lot in Real estate is just taking care of people and making sure that their questions are answered and their needs are met and, you know, you're there for them. 
Exactly. And so that that is that's that's a huge. Uh, I think you got a leg up on that. You know, having that experience before you walked into this. My fourteen year old self would say otherwise. <laughs> yeah, because you were you were with that. You were working there since you were 14, like exposed to it at least? I was 13 when I first started. Um, legally in Massachusetts, I had to be 14 in mm-hmm. high school with good grades. So on the books, I started when I was 14. Okay. When you became a realtor, and even now, is it, uh, you know, when when you're getting into the industry, I've got to imagine that you are... You know, you don't really know what it's going to be like. You know, you're, you're learning for the first year or two or however long it takes you to really feel like you've got a good control over it. So do you think being a realtor is harder or easier than you thought it was going to be? It's a lot harder. Yeah. I thought, oh, I've been doing property management. I've been working with, quote unquote, real estate for the past 12 something years. I thought I could just go in and do it. Mm-hmm. but it wasn't the case. So, I mean, my first year I did, I want to say 10 or 11 deals. Um, my first deal was probably one I'll never forget. <laughs> I was strong-armed considerably through that, and after that I wanted to quit. <laughs> so That's pretty good, though, for a first-year agent, 10, 11 deals. I almost, steadily almost did that the first two years. And in my third year, they say in real estate, your third year, you make it or break it. Mm -hmm. So if you're still doing the same that you've done the first two years, they say, you know, you're a part-time agent. So by my third year, I said, I want to make more than 50, 60,000. I don't want, I don't want to be in that quota, you know, that they put you in, in this little category box or whatever you want to call it. I wanted to be better. So that year I ended up doing 50 deals and I pushed myself as hard as possible, (laughs) but I didn't sleep. I didn't go on vacation at all that year. And I had goals and I felt having my goals in front of me, having a vision board is what really pushed me to do better. So to this day, I still have a vision board. Okay. Can you share what's on it? So this year, um, my husband and I bought land in Brazil a couple of years ago, and we recently started the building process. So first we cleared the land and then we put a fence. And now we're talking, we're going to start building this house. Um, we're waiting for prices to come down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like everybody else in this world, yeah. we're, we're on that same boat. Right. But the price in Brazil, when you really look at the money, it's one U.S. dollar to five Rios. And... I want my $1 to go a long way. But when their prices are as gouged as they are right now, it's like one to two. Mm -hmm. So I'm not getting what I would have gotten pre-COVID out of a build. Mm -hmm. So I recently looked again, the same house, the same, everything that I've already drawn, I've drawn it up. We had an engineer draw it up in Brazil, a family, our family of ours, actually a cousin. And you know, I sent it to the builder again and asked him for a quote, and now it's one to three. So I'm thinking if we wait to the end of this year, we might be one to four and I'll be ready to jump on it. Mm-hmm. So building a house in Brazil is number one on our vision board. Uh, number two is getting to Greece. <laughs> we have had the worst time the last two times we went to Europe trying to get to Greece. <laughs> the last time was because of everything that's going on in Russia. 
and the time before is due to COVID. Mm-hmm. We were there when COVID just started. So everything was shut down. Yeah. But other than that, I, you know, I'm the typical agent. I want to save more money. I want to put more money in savings. We don't know if there's going to be an industry industry crash. Some people say yes. I say no. Um, even still, maybe there's an economic crash. Yeah, right. I and mean, we don't know. A lot of unknown. Well, that's that's. I think that's with any sales professional is you've got a save for you've got a stockpile, nope. you know, and hold on to it so you can weather the downturn and weather any any slowdown in business, whether it's your fault or not. You exactly. Know? There's a lot of unknowns that happen there, and we all got a dose of that right when COVID hit because we didn't know what wasn't going to happen. Turns out it was a a blessing for the industry because, you know, volume went through the roof and everybody wanted to buy and sell a house and everybody wanted to move to Florida. So that was a good thing. But there at the beginning, it wasn't, you know, mm-hmm. we were all scared. Like what's going to happen here? Are we done? Like, is, are, are we done with business? Are we going to, is this ever going to rebound? How bad is this going to be? And I think we're seeing a lot of that this year too, starting in 22 when things have, you know, rates shot up like crazy which had a huge ripple effect through the industry and people not selling and buying and being as eager to pull the trigger as they were. And I'm feeling like it started to normalize a little bit lately. It has. Um, Cause people have kind of taken their medicine and they've kind of understood that. Okay. Rates are in the sixes now versus the twos, but those couple years in the twos were truly an anomaly and a gift. And, uh, we're not getting back to that. So we're never going to go back to that. People still have a need to move. They still have a need to upgrade, downgrade, empty nest, expand, move in parents have, you know, all of that. Who oh, the, yes. the, the, the market doesn't dictate family needs regardless, you know, so the people are always going to have a reason to do something. And, uh, but it's hard as a sales professional when you're plugged into that industry to, manage everything correctly and make sure that you are, you know, being frugal and saving and, you know, not taking on debt and stuff like that. It's, it's very tough. Exactly. And, you know, you've known me a long time. So, you know, me and my husband have an obsession with cars. Mm -hmm. And I told him last year, as a matter of fact, I said, with the way things are, I don't want to buy a car. And I ended up buying a car. (laughs) But, you know, back then they were, overcharging some stupid five eight thousand dollar fee for nothing just so they can make money Mm because there was a shortage on chips so now you're gonna pay for it but you know i wouldn't overpay i'm not the overpayer so we bought a car and this year i looked him dead in the face and i said we're not buying a car this year we're not buying Mm -hmm. a car this year so i went out and bought an rc car and now we're having fun with that there you go Told him, hey, if I'm not buying a real car, I'm going to buy a fun car. No insurance <laughs> required on that either, right? Uh, well, that's debatable. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of, is it a battery or gas? It's battery. Okay. I had gas growing up, and it was just so much to maintain. Oh, yeah. I didn't want to get back into that, so we just went, we did a Traxxas, and it's a Ford Fiesta, of course. Oh, that's cool. It's a car I had when I started real estate. <laughs> mm-hmm. My son's got a RC truck that things super fast and he has a lot of fun with that it's very it's got big shocks on it and stuff so you can kind of get rough with it and not worry about it breaking on jumps and things like that yeah he has a good time with it so we've already um blown out our clutch 
mm-hmm. on ours. <laughs> I either take some of that blame or my son takes part of that blame. Haven't decided yet. My husband also takes part of that blame. Do you ever go to that? I don't even know if it's still there. The the dog park at uh, Mango. They've got the little RC track. I didn't know that. No. It was there years ago. I don't know if it's still there. We used to take our dogs to that park. And there's some bleachers set up. for you. They, they did meets and stuff there. Mm-hmm. It's by the... Uh, you know which park I'm talking about? Yeah. On 579. I know exactly which yeah. one. I've been there they, a few times. Over dog. in the corner, they have a big RC area. Or used to. So maybe you can check it out. Okay. See if it's there. I don't know if it's dirt or if it's just concrete, but it's a... Uh, oh, I want dirt. Yeah. It's a pretty neat place. I, you'd see some some meets happening there when we were at the dog park in the morning sometimes. Um, so we talked about what motivates you. You know, you're... <laughs> You're a vision board person. I'm not a vision board. I keep it in my head. You know, they, they say that a lot of times you should put it out and have it in front of you. And I think that works for a lot of people you know, to visualize it and to say, you know, constantly remember a reminder what you're working towards, you know, what activities that you take today, what that's going to do for your future. So I might need to make one of those. I know some of my friends, they, they have a uh, like an annual vision board party. Oh. And they all get together and bring in their magazines and whatever and uh, cut out stuff. And, and make it. And make their vision boards like a little retreat, like a four-hour day or they do breakfast or brunch or whatever and sit and, and do all that. I, th- I always thought that was cool. Hmm. Maybe we'll have to do that. Yeah, I would totally do that. So how do you, um, in real estate, how do you define success in real estate? So a lot of people define it as the money you make. That is not my case at all. I prefer to say I'm successful when my client is closed and my client is happy. Mm-hmm. And they keep reaching out to me and they keep coming back to me with all their questions. And then eventually they sell or buy again with me. Mm-hmm. That's where the success is. The success is keeping the line of communication open, making sure you're always staying on top of any past sales send them Christmas cards, send them Valentine's cards. I mean, think outside the box and just send them something occasionally. Reach out to them. Don't be that agent that says, oh, I sent them a card. Now I don't need to reach out to them. That's wrong. You need to call them. You need to touch base with them. You know, try to remember one thing about them and add it to your card. One thing about your sale, one thing about what they said during the transaction. Mm-hmm. You know, just having that relationship keeps the relationship alive, number one, but having the communication keeps you a successful agent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll get you part of their their people. Exactly. You know, they have a, they got a, they got a person. That they can got friends. Mm-hmm. And you want to work with those friends too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what it's all about. And I think that. You know, I think when you have that type of mindset, the price tag doesn't matter. Exactly. You know, whether it's a million dollar buyer seller or if it's a hundred thousand dollar buyer seller, you're not thinking about the end goal of the closing. You're thinking about the experience and are they happy with you? Like you just said, you know, are you making them comfortable? Are they satisfied? Getting them all the way to the end, no matter what their transaction is. You exactly. Know, the, the numbers don't play a part in that. And that's a great way to look at it because I've I've seen others that are very much dollar sign <laughs> driven, and you know the hundred thousands don't get as much love as the six hundred thousands, you know. And it's very obvious the way that they they can treat people, and 
you know, not everybody does that. I mean, in fact, most of the people that we work with are, it doesn't matter what the, what the ticket price is, you know, it's all the same. To me, it's the same. In the end of the day, it's one more person that you checked off the box that's got a deal done. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, actually, this year I've closed two deals that are under 150000 already. And people look at me and go, why'd you even waste your time doing that? And I sit there and say, well. They needed, they needed your service. They needed your help. One person needed to sell a lot and another person needed to buy a lot. And eventually they're going to build on these lots and they're going to reach out to me. Mm -hmm. And I'll get that referral out to somebody else who's whoever's going to build and mm -hmm. they'll pay me a commission. Sure. So maybe I didn't make much when they bought the lot for 90000 85000 whatever it was. But I'm going to get the commission later when they go ahead and build. Yeah, that's that's another past client into your database of people. Exactly. That, that you work with. Yeah, that's that's great. Um, you know, we talked about commission and closings and stuff like that. And I always like to ask this question that do you consider yourself a salesperson? No. No? I hate pitchy salespeople. <laughs> Absolutely hate it. I know... Because you get a commission, you're quote unquote a salesperson. I don't look at it that way. Mm -hmm. I just look at it as I'm making a new friend and I'm helping them do something that's life changing to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's real estate sales is a lot different than furniture store sales or car sales, auto auto car lots, stuff like that. Anybody with a quota. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Quotas and the cl the cycle. The closing mm -hmm. cycle. I think that's the biggest differentiator because if you're selling cars or furniture, you're closing them down and collecting money and finishing the sale all within a couple hours mm -hmm. of meeting them for the first time. You know, so that high pressure, high sign here, you know, <laughs> objection handling and stuff like that. That's really where that stuff lives, I think, mm -hmm. in the sales world. I, I see real estate as more consultation based, you know, and more of a service based sales than it is, you know, sales based, if that makes any sense at all. It does. But that's because um, how hard is it to have a quota in real estate? You know, actually, it's pretty easy. Well, what I if mean you is put one on yourself. Right. But what I mean is for the day, you know, you have to get five, five living room sets sold today. Right. Mm -hmm. The next people walking through the door are yours. This is your chance. You're not going to get another because you know how the furniture people rotate. Yes. Right. They one person gets the podium. You walk in. Those next customers are yours. Then the next one gets in line. So you've got to wait until 10 other families walk through the door before you have a chance again. Mm -hmm. But, you know, they're coming. So it's a constant rotation of people. Real estate, especially in a model like yours where you're independent, solo uh, agents, you don't have that constant inbound opportunity, right? Your phone's not ringing off the hook all day long with a phone call, people looking to buy a house. Right? Well, there's something that I do that I've actually learned through the corporate office in Century 21. I took a lot of their classes during COVID. Mm -hmm. um, they had worksheets that I printed out, and I actually have made copies of these every single day. And I set aside from eight o'clock till sometimes nine or if I can't do it at eight o'clock for whatever reason I've got a conference with a children one of the children's teachers I'll do it you know I'll, I'll pencil myself in to do my calls pretty much so on the sheet on the worksheet it's 
how many calls you want to make. Because in the end of the day, you need to be calling past clients every day. Mm-hmm. And whether and, and if you don't have past clients, you need to be calling friends and family and whoever. But you need to be calling people every day. Stop the texting. Stop picking up the phone and, you know, oh, they're not going to answer, so I'm not going to call. Have the communication with somebody. This world is becoming text-friendly, but you need to actually physically talk to somebody these days mm-hmm. to get where you need to go. So on the worksheet, it's literally, it says, have I talked to anybody today? And the answer is either yes or no. And you set however many goals, how many people you want to talk to. They say for every eight people you talk to, you get an interview with one. So if you set yourself up to talk to eight people, you might say you might get a friend of a friend's aunt who's looking to sell a house in Lutz, which just happened to me, by the way, <laughs> who's looking to sell her house in Lutz, and let me give her your number. And I, I take it and say, well, you know what? Give me her number so when she's calling, I know it's her, and I'm going to answer her. So that makes you look good. Because now you're referring them to me. I want to make sure I'm answering them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's how you get the number. Right. But I never would have got that lady in Lutz if I didn't call right. a couple of friends and, and a couple of past clients mm-hmm. that morning. Yeah. So. And I think you just hit on the number one thing that differentiates successful agents from unsuccessful agents or, or agents who are struggling or can't figure it out, can't crack the code, right, mm-hmm. is contacts. Yes. And as many contacts as you can have, the more the better. Because like you said, it does that eight to one or 10 to one or whatever the ratio that it's true. You know, it really is true. And then maybe, you know, you can take, you can take, you can backwards engineer the numbers, reverse engineer them and say that, you know, if you want to close 50 deals this year, how many conversations is that going to take? Exactly. That's going to take, I don't know, 200 conversations, maybe one out of four you can, you can reach. And then how many calls is it going to take to get 200 conversations? So that worksheet actually has that spelled out for us. Mm-hmm. In yep. the end of the day, if you do everything it tells you to do on the top, on the bottom, it says you need to have 500 conversations this year to close 50 deals or mm-hmm. whatever the number is. I don't know what it is, yep. but it says it right on there. So that's part of our goals in the beginning of the year. And I look at that and I break that down. OK, I want to have 30 solid closings this year. So if I want to do 30 deals, I need to talk to this many people every morning. Mm-hmm. And that's the number I want. I don't care about the final number. It looks huge. It's scary. I understand. So my number is actually 18 people every morning that I need to reach out to, whether I'm having the phone conversation or not. Mm-hmm. I need to get in touch with them, email, texting them, calling them some way just to say, hey, let's have lunch. Or, hey, how's things going? Mm-hmm. You know, or, hey, I want to mail you out a birthday card. I just want to make sure you're still at the house. Because mm-hmm. sometimes a birthday card gets sent back. Yeah. You know, you so know you got to make sure. Mm-hmm. And then they feel special because now you're remembering their birthday. And I think nowadays a lot of people aren't, aren't getting birthday cards in the mail. They're not. Or any kind of card. Especially Valentine's. They don't get them anymore. You might get everything. Everybody wants to do it virtually, you know. And then also, I just had a birthday uh, last month, and your email box fills up with all these random companies. Mm -hmm. Like, but you know what? 
I will never forget when I turned 18, Gillette, the oh. razors, mm-hmm. they sent me a Mach 3 razor for my birthday. Oh, that's cool. And like a little sample of shaving cream. And I'll never forget that. I thought that was awesome. I actually have a fun story with Gillette as well. <laughs> um, one day, George and I were driving. It was at night and we were in Dennis Port in Massachusetts and this lady got hit by, we couldn't tell if it was a deer or a fox or a wolf. We don't know. So, she, But she got hit by something, and it staggered off. And I said to George, stop. We need to give her our information because the insurance company is not going to believe her. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, the insurance company did not believe her. So she reached out to us, said, can I give you my insurance company your information? I said, Absolutely. And I talked to the insurance company, and I told them what I saw as a bystander just driving by. And next thing I know, I get this huge box. I mean, it was like half of this table size (laughs) full of stuff. And it was probably a year's worth of supply of everything you can imagine that Gillette sells. Oh, wow. And she a Gillette employee. She's a rep. Oh, okay. And I didn't know that. Yeah. So it kind of, you know, stopping, helping went a long way, and she gave me just everything I needed for the next year. That's great. Yeah. I'll never forget that. But my original point was you get filled up with all this generic happy birthday stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that personal touch really, really goes a long way, especially if it's, if it's non-corporate, you know, you don't throw your business card in there. Nope. You don't have the logo on the front of the card or something like that. You know, you make it more personal and you know, it's, it's actually you reaching out because you took the time to to care about them for a moment and say, hey, happy birthday. And a handwritten card goes a long way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even in today's digital age, mm-hmm. I think that's I think that's true. Um, but I, I love that you touched on that because I think that is, that's the foundation. Unless you're the type of person who just has, you're just a natural socialite and you just got people coming to you all the time. There's people like that. Few and far between, you know, you yes. can't launch a sales career from scratch unless you have, unless you're like from a well-connected family and, you know, a group of people. Some people have it like that. Most people don't, right? Let's be honest. And I think that that's, that's the key. That's the foundation to any sales person or team or anything is that prospecting and the daily, the daily grind that it takes to get there. You yeah. know, it's it absolutely a grind because many days you don't want to sit and have to call anybody because you're tired or you're stressed out or you're whatever. But if you cut that out and, you know, we call it green time, that's your prospecting time. That's when you're actually it's red time is when you're doing paperwork and like doing the things that it takes to get stuff done. And then green time is when you're trying to, like, find the money, which is the green, yep. the green. Right. So that's that's huge. I think so everybody my planner is color coded and. Mm-hmm. My prospecting time is my green time. Yeah. Yeah. How many hours a week do you think that equates to? Well, now I'm probably at seven or eight hours a week. Mm-hmm. Um, in the past years when I haven't had to prospect as much, it's maybe five hours a week. Mm-hmm. But I feel this year we've had to put a thinking cap on yeah. and go back to the drawing board a little bit. Everybody's got to dig a little deeper right now because it's, you know, the, the, they're not just coming to you. Exactly. Yeah. And that's if you're in the business in 20 and 21, then you know that it was a gift. I say, you know, that we had a gift at that time and you didn't have to, you know, put the put the boots on as much as you do now. Exactly. I would wake up and my inbox would be full, you know, about everything real estate related that you could think of. And now I wake up and my inbox is full of junk. Mm -hmm. So 
I'm sitting there going, well, why are people not reaching out to me? Okay, let's reach out to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and that's yeah. what's going to separate. That's what's going to keep people in business. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I heard, I would love to know the actual stats. I've heard things. I don't know if this is how true it is, but I've heard that somewhere in the neighborhood of like 40% of realtors didn't renew their licensing. I looked that up and it's close to 40%. Yeah. And then you're going to have a bunch more who came into the market in 20 and 21 who get their first two years before they have to do their, their set, their post licensing education. Mm -hmm. So I wonder what those numbers are. I wonder how many licenses are going to lapse here in the next year or two from the new people that joined. And then people who not, who aren't going to keep their CE up after that and, you know, just drop the whole thing. I just wonder what that's going to turn into. I've heard the same similar stat from loan officers too, because loan officers are annual mm-hmm. and they said about 40% didn't renew in 23, which is huge. That's it's a, a huge number. number. Yeah. It's a big number. Considering. Right. But you know, a lot of it happens. The market's good and people join, you know, cause the money's, the money looks easy. looks like it's an easy thing to do. And then reality sets in. You're like, wait a minute. Nope. This isn't as easy as I thought it was. I had an agent come up to me a couple weeks ago now after a sales meeting. And she's like, what are you doing? What are you doing different? And I said to her, why? Why are you asking me this? You should be asking yourself this. Mm -hmm. And she looked at me and she said, well, last year, I said, you can't compare yourself to last year. Last year was a given. Everybody was getting everything. So you can't compare yourself. You have to start fresh this year. This year is a new year. That's why we sit down and do our goals in January. Mm-hmm. And she goes, well, I didn't do any goals. I said, well, that's your first problem. Mm-hmm. And then she had asked me, you know, do you think it's a good time to be a realtor? And I said, if you're having second thoughts, maybe real estate is not for you. But if you think it's a great time to be a realtor and you are a go-getter, this is going to work phenomenal for you. Mm-hmm. But you have to tell yourself you're going to do something and then do it. That's true. Yeah, you, know, you gotta have the right mindset because it's you gotta dig deep. A lot of it. people and I'm gonna actually go back to Paula McConaughey because she's one of those agents that came to me years ago and said, What are you doing differently? Because you're busy and you're just nonstop and I wanna be like you. And I said to her, You wanna know the truth? Or do you wanna hear what I'm gonna say and then not do it? <laughs> and she said, No, tell me so I can do it too. And I said, Okay. I said we had a CRM and in the mornings I would wake up and the CRM would have a touch point for each person. Mm-hmm. That said CRM also allowed you to say, I already did it. So if you're telling yourself you already touched with that person that you haven't talked to in two months, shame on you. And she said, okay. So what you're telling me is wake up and have phone conversations with everybody in my CRM. I said, not everybody. Only the people whose touch points are due. And if you're doing it every day, like you're supposed to, somebody's going to know somebody who wants to sell or buy. Mm-hmm. And she started getting busy doing stuff like that. And to this day, she still does it. So there are agents out there that are willing to do the work, but there are agents out there that want the work to come to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're just natural. Hey, I'm a realtor. Yep. Why aren't you calling me? <laughs> and then they wonder why their phone doesn't ring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's great advice. That's uh, everybody lives by the, all the successful agents that I know have some sort of 
prospecting machine built. And when I say machine, a mechanism, when I say, you know, it's either them calling or someone calling on their behalf or having a team that they feed leads to that calls, but it's, it's all proactive. It's not, it's not a set it and forget it. Let them come to us type thing. It's not like an attraction marketing. It's, Hey, can you, you got a minute? Let's talk for a second. (laughs) You know, that's always how it is. And I don't think that's ever going to go away. And that's just, that's just how it is. So when I asked you, if you considered yourself a salesperson, how do you, what advice do you have of breaking down that stigma of people who are afraid to call to say, I don't want to bother these people. They don't want to hear from me. They know all I'm calling about is real estate. How do you, what, what's your advice to somebody like that? Facebook hunt them. Yeah. I'm serious. Mm-hmm. So what I do before I pick up the phone and call somebody is I'll go on their Facebook page and I'll see, oh, maybe they just had a new baby or maybe there's some life changing event that just took place. If it's not Facebook because they don't have it, I go to Instagram or TikTok or whatever. But I'm looking for a conversation. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking for something to touch with them. Or maybe they just posted, hey, I'm going to Italy in a couple months. Where do you suggest I go? So I'll pick up the phone and I'll call them. And they're thinking I'm calling them about Italy. They're not, call- they're not thinking I'm calling them about real estate. But in the end of the day, they know I'm a real estate agent. Mm-hmm. But having that conversation with them opened up the field for us to talk about other things. Yeah. So yeah, the first 10, 15, 20 minutes of our conversation was all about Italy. But then she's going to ask me how I'm doing and how's work and how's the kids and how's my husband, how's everything. And then we get into it mm-hmm. and it, you know, you ease yourself into it. You don't just go, Oh, work is slow or, Oh, Oh my God, I'm so busy. I don't know what to do. Yeah. You know, you say family's great. Life is great. Work is work. I mean, what more can you say? Real estate's real estate. Mm-hmm. And the minute you say real estate, you've already put it in her brain that you're a real estate agent. Mm-hmm. You don't have to elaborate from there. You just have to remind them with one word. And having conversations has to be conversations about yeah. anything but real estate. It has to be natural. There has to be a reason for you to be on that call. Exactly. Right? So maybe those new people who are afraid to get into that or afraid to call people who they kind of only know on the surface, warm it up a little bit, mm-hmm. right? And get in with the, the the things that make them talk and make them want to hear from you. You know, who they always say that <clears throat> everyone's favorite subject is themselves, right? So if you're asking them questions about themselves, why wouldn't they want to talk to somebody for a few minutes? You know, you're not hitting them over the head with a real estate question, do you know anybody looking to buy, sell, or refi, rent, lease, real estate? <laughs> Is there anybody I can help? You know, that's not the first thing you say. Sometimes that's not even the last thing you say. You just come up as a reminder, mm-hmm. you know. Let me know if you need anything. I'm here. Exactly. <laughs> mm, that's great. Um, what What's one thing that you want your clients or the people in your in your circle to know about you? What's the one thing you want them to walk away with knowing about Janet when they're done? Or when they start to work with you? Well, first and foremost, I want them to know that I'm an honest person. I want them to know that they can come to me and ask me anything and know it's not going to upset me. It doesn't matter what it is. Oh, I had actually a client I just closed a deal with, and it turns out her husband reached out to a different agency to sell their first house to go ahead and buy this other deal. And I helped him. 
He had problems with his agent. He had problems with the closing. She had problems with the closing. And I was the first person he thought to call. And I said, well, wouldn't it have been great had you called me in the beginning? Then I would have done the whole deal for you. And you wouldn't have had any of these questions. Mm-hmm. So having that, you know, blunt honesty in front of people is really important to me. That way they know that I'm the type of person that's not going to BS them. I'm not going to tell them what they want to hear. I'm going to tell them like it is. It's kind of like end of discussion at that point. But on the flip side of that, too, I want them to be able to trust me because honesty and trust go a long way in this industry. Mm-hmm. And if people can't trust you, you're done. Right. I mean, the word's going to get out there. And like it or not, real estate agents, insurance salesmen, car salesmen, loan officers, those types of people, those types of profession, there's a a lot of times it's seen in a negative light, right? Because of bad players in the industry and bad experiences people have had in the past or heard of or just a cliche or a stereotype that follows those things around. Car salesmen, probably top of the list there. Lawyers in there too. Oh, yes. You know, (laughs) Um, a lot of times dealing with a lawyer is – whether they're on your side or not, it's just not a not a fun experience, you know, one way or another. Same thing with the car salesman. You know, you walk in there and you immediately know that they're here to separate me from my, as much of my money as they they possibly can. Mm-hmm. You know, that's their whole goal. That's how it works. But and of course, being in the industry, us saying, hey, it's not like that. You know, it takes it's not really. We know that. You know, we know that. But does the general public know that? And what do we do to help overcome that stigma? You know, and that's everybody's going to say, oh, you can trust me, you know, politicians, you know, same thing. (laughs) But it really comes down to people that reviews, Mm -hmm. past clients, people that have worked with your reputation. We're fighting an uphill battle there. You know, there's a lot of uh, trying to fight through that stigma. But all you can do is do your best, remain true to yourself and to your clients and let the reviews and let the experiences speak for themselves. And another thing, too, going to the review side of things, ask for the reviews. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't realize they need to ask for it. In the end, when you've closed the deal, set it in their brain, my company is going to be emailing you for a review on me. Mm -hmm. That just helps me become a better agent. Would you please be honest and leave me a good review? Yeah. And, you know. Most people are not automatic review givers no no matter what they're doing unless it's negative reviews some people i try not to leave negative reviews because i get reviewed myself personally and i just i don't want to put that karma out there you know (laughs) but and i mean i don't i've never had a bad review there's one you know the one bad review that we have is from a guy who contacted he emailed us asking a question we responded to the question like we always would Perfect explanation, everything just as we would normally do. And then weeks and months go by and then we pop up with a one star review on Google with no narrative, like no text description, just click one star. And uh, of course, we're like, wait a minute, who who is this? Who did this? Mm -hmm. And so we're looking up and we're looking through all of our systems like do we have this person in our system of record? Do we have this person in our CRM? 
where, who is this first off? Cause this was not, obviously it's not a customer. Like we did not do services for this person and, uh, come to find out he, I was like, well, okay, we can't find him in these three systems. Can't find him in here. I'll search my email. Like, let's look through email. Did he do anything here? Found it, found the answer. You know, it's just one of these in passing questions that, mm-hmm. you know, do you do this kind of thing? Yes, we do. To get started, go here, do this, call here, and let's get moving. If you want us to help you, this is what you do. So he throws a bad review out there, and um, we're stuck with it. <laughs> like, I contacted Google, and I said, hey, we didn't transact business with this guy. Like, this is not a client of ours. We didn't do anything here. And he's got a one-star review. It's bringing down our average. Like, what can we what can we do about that? And Google just wouldn't hear it. They're like, eh. Whatever. <laughs> he he just can left change his review. You know that, right? He can. Yeah. But we, I got no way of reaching him. <laughs> I got no way to call him. I emailed him back and said, hey, you know, I understand that you did this. I just want to let you know that we never, you never took steps to like join with us as hire us. Mm-hmm. So what, I don't understand. Like, what did we do to deserve a one star here? But then I went on his profile and he did that to like dozens of other people. Oh. He's just out there like, slinging mud at people for no reason so that's why partially why i don't if i have a bad experience somewhere i typically i'll try to tell them because i read that book raving fans have you ever read that book i have and they say the worst customer is the customer that comes in and has a bad experience but doesn't make it known Mm -hmm. right so the whole point of raving fans is they want people to they want to treat their customers so well that they go out and they rave about you as a company, right? Or as a service provider or whatever. The ones that are deadly are the ones that come in. They treat them bad. They don't leave a bad review. They don't leave a good review. They just never come again. And you're never going to see that customer's money ever again. And that's kind of, that stuck with me. I I probably read that book when I was 25 years old, I want to say. And that's always stuck with me to say, you know, if if somebody's having a bad day, I would love their manager to know about it. You know, maybe they not, maybe it's not their fault. Maybe they don't need to be reprimanded or get in trouble. But if I'm having a bad experience here as a customer, like I want to tell you, exactly. I'm not going to take it out into public and trash you on Google or something like that. But I would like you to know this, do whatever you want to do with it. You know, <laughs> maybe I'm a pain in the butt, but whatever, you know, at least you know about it. If you want to fix it, fix it. We just had a, a perfect example of this was Moe's over here okay. in the plaza. Shout out to Moe's because they are... Love Moe's. They, I always loved Moe's. I was... Back when Moe's first opened over there in Regency, I worked right in that area, and there used to be a line out the door. They had like 12 people working on the line back there, cooking, cleaning, making stuff, you know, three or four spots on the line, cash register person, runner out in the in the thing, in the dining room, packed every day you went in there. And this one over here really started to slip Mm. like got super dirty never had any food on the line the food was old and if they're treating the dining room like that i always think like if they can't keep the dining room and drink station clean what are they doing back there in the kitchen exactly how are they taking (laughs) care of this food is it are they taking proper food safety precautions you know like and so our we all stopped going there because it got so bad and uh, we told them, like we told them a couple times, like, hey, we because we're good. For, we're somebody in this office of six, eight people, a couple times a week, we're in there. So, you know, you're getting 
20 orders a week, give or take, you know, through throughout the time. And so we told them like this place is really starting to slip. And every time we come in here, it's filthy and you guys don't have what we need. And it's expensive. Like you get, you're talking about an $18 meal for fast food. Um, but anyway, we all just abandoned them. And then somebody by chance went there the other day. We started seeing some like new people working there. So a month or two ago, somebody went and checked it out and they've done a complete 180 on the place. It's super clean. The food's super fresh. They're taking care of the place. They got a couple people in there were managers and the like GM or whoever's there completely whipped it into shape. And last time I was in there, I told him, I was like, Hey, you guys have really stepped it up. Like you, you lost our whole office for a while, but last few times I've been in here has been amazing. So Sometimes good work. That's all Keep it, it up. Yeah. yeah. He said, well, you know, we came in, we fired the whole staff. We kept two people who were doing their jobs and everybody else got fired. They weren't cleaning the place. I was like, oh, I know. Trust me. I know how it was going. And uh, he was happy that I told him, you know, because I don't know if they get that kind of feedback. They just hope that their numbers increase. They hope their sales go up. But as a somewhat regular in there, like if you lose a regular, that's a big deal. And then to get them back and, you know, I felt like me telling them that they're doing a good job. I just felt good telling them that, you know, keep it up. Keep up the good work. (laughs) We'll be back. So that's great. Um, can you tell me, in your opinion, as a realtor and as a as a home buyer, because you've been both, you know, you mentioned a you bought your a buyer, right? Yeah, you've gone all. through it all. Taking your taking all that experience, putting it together, what's the most important thing to look for when choosing a real estate agent to work with? A rapport. I feel having that rapport with the agent that you choose is really important. I know when I was buying my house here for the first time, the first house we bought here, I wanted only Jeff Chandler because first of all, he's great friends with my dad. Second of all, he sold my dad all properties my dad bought. And I just wanted to work with the guy. Well, what are the chances the day that I'm there to look at houses, he he literally put me off on another agent because Mm -hmm. he was, I think somebody was getting married and he was going to California. That's where he's from. But anyways, he wasn't here. He wasn't going to be here to show me houses. And I did not like that response one bit. And I said to him, no, Jeff, if I'm not working with you, I'm not working with anybody. And he said, believe me, you'll like her. Just try her. If If you don't like her after the first house, you can work with somebody else or just wait till I get back. And I said, okay, because, you know, I'm set to work with one person. I've had, I've got this relationship with this one person, known him a few years at this point. And that was our rapport together. But then I met the agent he put me off with, and she was great. She was honest. She was forthcoming. She was Jeff in a female body, pretty mm-hmm. much. And I maybe Jeff coached her and said, Janet likes the blunt, honest opinions, so if you see something, tell her. But she was on top of everything and told me exactly like it was. You know, Oh, you're not going to like this property because of this, this, or that. Oh, you're going to love this property because of this. And, you know, nowadays we don't do that anymore. But back in 2006 when they were doing that, the very first house I saw, 30 houses later, by the way, <laughs> the very first house I saw is the one I bought. And... She told me all the ins and outs about that house, and it stuck with me. And 
I mean, I ended up working the deal with her. And you go into the industry thinking you're going to work with one person or only one person. But when they're not available, you have to have an open mind and be willing to build a rapport with somebody else. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty much what happened with me. And I feel having a rapport with a client or having the rapport with friends, family or whoever, whoever's going to send you your next client. That's where it's all about right now. Okay. So finding somebody you click with. Yes. Not necessarily somebody that you saw on a magazine cover with a bunch of awards around their face. No. You know, somebody that you can actually get into a flow with. I was on that magazine cover. <laughs> yeah, I'm no, nothing wrong with those magazine covers, but that's not always the one who can, you might yeah. not jive with that person. Exactly. You know, you might have, you might take a couple to get through and figure out, like, who can you work through, work with. And I would, I would also add track record mm-hmm. and experience. You know, I know that new agents need to get their foothold and need to get things moving, but I'm always a fan of being able to say, do you have experience in this? <laughs> like how many deals have you seen gone down? How many, how many things have you seen gone sideways that you can, that you have experience putting back together and like, that you know, you're going to get me through this. You know, I think that's very important too. I think actually our relationship was built on rapport too. And, you know, I was set in my ways. If, if it's not broken, don't fix it kind of thing. And I had a lender that was doing everything great. Nothing was sideways. Everything was perfect. I mean, the communication was a little bit less than what I wanted, but he was doing everything perfect. When I met you, it took me a good year or so to actually use you. Mm-hmm. But building that friendship, building that relationship, and building the rapport between us, I was like, that's it. I only want to work with this guy <laughs> going forward. All my buyers here, here he's the best. Just mm-hmm. work with him. I appreciate that. And actually, one of our first deals together, it's like fifth or sixth deal. Her name was Michelle. I'm not going to use her last name. Um, I asked her how she found me. And that was a huge, I needed to know kind of question. And she said, I found you on Google. I was reading reviews on Google. And, you know, she found other names. I'm not going to name them on the air, but mm-hmm. top agents that everybody knows the names of and there were a few of them that I idolized and I said well why pick me and she said well I called all these other agents I called you you were the first person to offer to take me out to lunch the only person as a matter of fact you wanted to sit down and have a conversation to get to know me to understand who I was before asking me how many bedrooms, how many bathrooms? Mm-hmm. You know, the first question out of everybody's mouth is, what's your price range? Are you pre-approved? How many bedrooms, how many bathrooms? But you didn't ask me that. You said, okay, let's meet for lunch and let's go sit down yeah. so I can get to know See you a little bit better. From, what kind of needs do you have? Maybe there's things you haven't thought about that I can help you think through. All that so. kind of stuff. Yeah. And she, I mean, she hired me on the spot right after lunch. Mm-hmm. And she said... Now I need a lender. And I I have a list. I have a list of three. So I don't, you know, push to just one person, although I think I do do that. (laughs) (laughs) I tell him he's number one on the list for a reason, but interview two or three. you could increase that font and bold us, you know, and maybe put us in color and then everybody else in black and white. I think (laughs) I'm at like 85, 90% with you guys right now. We we, we appreciate (laughs) it. It's pretty close to that. Um, I don't think the bold will do anything better. Maybe not. But I'll tell you, when 
she reached out to the three lenders and then three inspectors. And she, the first was the three lenders. She said, no, your first guy, you were right. He's, he's good. I want to work with him. So then she started working with you guys. And then came time for inspection, and it was the same thing. And she told me at the end of the deal, you were a no BSer, and that was important to me. Mm-hmm. You wanted to be my friend first and then work with me second. And that's important to me. And a lot of people don't realize that. They think they're calling about a house. All they want to talk about is houses. It's yeah. not true. They want you to know who they are and what they need in a house before you start sending them houses. Yeah. I just had a conversation on the last episode here about how people are in such a transition period during the time of buying a house or selling a house that it's it's easy to lose sight of that sometimes because we are in the industry and we're transactional and we're trying to meet their goals and get them to the finish line. But there's a reason behind their move. You know, why are they moving? Why do they need more space? Why do they need less space? Why are they coming to Florida? Why are they motivated to do this particular action? And I think the more that you understand and know about those people, the 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 motivations behind the decision, I think that goes a really long way with a lot of people, not everybody. You know, some clients are super black and white. They don't want you knowing anything about them. I just want to buy this house. It's none of your business, whatever else is going on in my life, right? Some Some are like that, but a lot aren't. And that connection really does go deep when that happens. And as you were talking about how the first questions are, you know, do you have an agent? Are you pre-approved? How many bedrooms, bathrooms? That that leads me to a thought that I've said before in the past that I feel like a lot of agents maybe shoot themselves in the foot sometimes by not being willing to show one house. Right. Because so many are, are such, oh, if you're not pre-approved, if you don't have proof of funds, you're not worth my time. I'm not going to go out and waste my time to show you a house. It's like, uh, fine, don't. You know what? I'll go show it because I'm meeting a new client. I'm building rapport. I'm giving them one for free. Mm-hmm. And if they're not going to listen to what I have to say or whatever, I'd rather why not meet them at the first house versus meet them at the office or at a Starbucks or whatever. Why not meet them there? You want to go see it? All right, here. Um, I can be there in three hours. You know, let me let me get there. I'll meet you there today. Why not? I do it all the time. Yeah, and then unless I'm got to go to Fort Myers, yeah, then you're getting obviously. pre-approved. <laughs> I mean, or if you, you're slam packed for the day, you can't get there. Whatever. I mean, I'm not saying you have to show up right when they call, but if you're not willing to give them one, I think you're losing a ton of opportunity mm-hmm. there because Absolutely. you get to meet face to face. You get to get them down the road of what their next steps are here. Let me review who you are. You pre-approved. Let me see it. What is it? Is it a prequal letter? Is it junk? It's, is it an email? Like how far did they, you know, all of those things that are important that that first showing I think is almost like a discovery meeting instead of a showing. Mm-hmm. And I feel like so many agents are given away opportunity with that because they don't feel like they should waste their time to go show a house without a pre-approval letter. Well, not everybody needs that pre-approval letter. Some people are cash buyers. Mm-hmm. So I've actually put myself in their shoes because I was exactly like that. I didn't give a pre-approval letter. I didn't even tell him I was buying it cash. Mm-hmm. I just said, hey, Jeff, show me houses. And he was like, okay. So, you know, 
part of knowing people in the industry, sitting down and talking with Jeff Sean, Jeff Chandler, and trying to figure out what they did differently, why they're such successful men in this business. I wanted to be like that. And, you know, one of the biggest things I heard from both of them was be their friend first and the realtor second. Mm -hmm. If they don't want a friend, just be somebody they can go to. Yeah. Be a resource for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's absolutely true. I think that that echoes in all service-based professions. Yes. You know. And no Um, more robots. We don't need those. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, you see what's happening with the robots. They're not really... It's not as easy as push button, get mortgage, right? Yep. There's still a lot to it. They haven't quite figured out a way to get rid of all of us yet. <laughs> They'll get there. They're working on it, but I, it's going to be a while, I think. Um, so how do, you, uh, how do you stay present and active in your community? You know, we talked about your, your daily outreach to your sphere of influence. We talked about your children being in homeschool and things like that. What else... What else do you do that might keep you alongside your your community and your neighbors and stuff like that? So a lot of my neighbors actually know me. Um, whether they know me in passing or they know me personally, they know me. One thing I like to do is when I see a house closes within my neighborhood, I'll go there with a plate of cookies or brownies or whatever I have in the cabinet, mm-hmm. and I'll just tell them, I'm your neighbor, I live right down there, and I'll tell them the house. So when they drive by, they can see you know, my house, because everybody's curious to see your house, too. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I tell them I've been in the community 16 years. I love it. I wouldn't change it for the world. You know, we bought our house 16 years ago, and we're still here. So if that tells you anything great, I don't tell them a realtor. I don't tell them anything about my personal life, my business life. I just welcoming them to the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. So in River Hills, there's over 1,800 houses. And to do that, as often as I would want, (laughs) it's kind of impossible. So what I've done is we've created wine fairies in River Hills. And not me personally. There were a few people behind it, and I chimed in on it. But we're keeping it going for the most part. And, you know, somebody puts they need something because they, you know, Maybe they like margaritas and not wine. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we have them go on our website, not our website, our Facebook page, and we tell them just, you know, put a list of things you like and they'll be at your front door. And if you haven't had a wine fairy visit you in quite a while, just let us know. And it's just a rant. This is regardless totally of random. how long somebody's been there. This is like yep. a uh, like a random act of kindness. Total random. That's cool. And, you know, a few of us realtors in there, you know, like Cat White, Brenda Wade, myself well i'll pitch in and go buy people stuff mm. then there's teachers in there that keep it going non-stop mm-hmm. obvi- for obvious reasons <laughs> um but other than that it's it's really run by a retired lady that's cool and she does such a wonderful job with it i'll tell you and you know it takes all of us to keep it running mm. now within river hills we have a bunch of community type things going on, like a chili cook-off or a yard sale or whatever. I always rent a booth there as well, as long as I'm in town, because usually the May ones, I'm not in town, mm-hmm. or maybe the February, November ones, I'm not in town. But if we're doing a Halloween-themed something or another, or we're doing, you know, 
whatever for Fourth of July. I'm always there front and in front of everybody with my shirt that has Century Twenty One logo on it, and everybody knows I'm a realtor in my neighborhood. That's why I'm able to get as many listings as I do without asking for them. You know, I see the flyers going out all the time between the different top agents in the area. And to me, they're just kind of like, oh, that was a picture from 20 years ago. Let's go ahead and throw that in the trash. It makes people kind of think it gets their wheels turning too. Yeah. So it's like, I wonder what I could get. Who should I ask about this? The goal is to call with the number on the flyer, you know, but if there's a a more uh, well-forged relationship or stickiness somewhere else, then that flyer might get them to pick up the phone and call somebody else. Now, the other thing, too, within our neighborhood page, because we also have a River Hills neighborhood page, and you have to live in River Hills to be on that page, mm-hmm. um, a lot of my answers, you know, somebody's saying, who would you use for an AC tech or who would you use for this or that? And, you know, I'll start out as a realtor, comma, I have found my client or myself, my personal experience or friend's experience this person is fabulous. So I'm always little by little putting it in front of them that, yeah, I'm a realtor, but call these people, mm-hmm. call that person. So, you know, always having an interaction. I, I know there's that neighbor's app, whatever it's called. I don't use it. Next door. Next door. Yeah. yeah. I don't use it. It never took off in our neighborhood. Our Facebook page took off way quicker than that did. Mm-hmm. So, unfortunately, we don't have an extra app, fortunately, in my mind. But having Facebook and everybody on Facebook really helps. Being part of whatever the community has going on, you know, even starting petitions when we don't believe we need three new stop signs. Um, Yeah, that's just something else <laughs> yeah so unfortunately your, they still your put activity them in. is is very local then they you know, literally in your own backyard because yes. you're in such a large neighborhood that you have a big community that's there to to stay present with and they know people who know people mm-hmm. and you know there are people who are i bought my house with so and so i'm gonna always use them and then there are people with i can't remember who she was but she lives in here somewhere <laughs> and yeah, I'll use you, you know. So I want to be the one that they go, oh, I remember her. Yeah. I want to work with her. Absolutely. And okay. There's two others in front of me. <laughs> so this is a doozy of a question, but um, I always like to ask it. How can we make the real estate industry better? Getting rid of the part-time agents. I really feel... If we had only full-timers, it would go a long way. Unfortunately, we have agents who also work in insurance companies or our lenders or wherever. I don't know where they all work. But they're 9 to 5 somewhere else, and they can't answer us. Mm -hmm. They don't pick up their phone and call us back. They don't text us back. So when we're trying to get answers for our client, we kind of want it now. We don't want it in a week from now. And unfortunately, having part-time agents, that's what I call them, the ones that have another job, um, it really hurts us. There's no communication there. And 
you know, we might miss out on a great house because we didn't submit an offer because they still haven't answered us mm-hmm. on something that could have taken them two seconds to answer. Like, how old's a roof? I don't see any permits and permitting, so how old's the roof? And we don't get that answer. You know, we're not going to put an offer. Come to find out it's a brand new roof. The permit hasn't even been closed out yet. That's why we're not finding it. It's not in the description. They didn't make a big deal about that. Like, I feel that you should with a brand new roof, right? Like, what I've been doing this last year, and it's really helping to get a lot of my deals sold, is... I remind people, oh, this is an assumable mortgage at this rate. Now, assumable mortgages are hard. (laughs) I don't suggest everybody run out there and do that to all their listings unless you know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, Finding, like, actually two of my deals right now, you guys financed. So they're going to have to reach out to you to talk to you about the assumable mortgage side of things. And I put that in realtor comments. Here's Josh's information and Reach out to him and talk to him about it. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, you know, I I really feel strongly about having people who answer their phone would change this industry. Yeah, just a a, a step up in professionalism across the board. Yes, right. Trying to like that because there's definitely professionals out there. You're one of them, and there's plenty, and there's lots of them, lots of good agents. But there's quite again, a few I love working with, and I see that them. Stigma, I want to of what we're already fighting against and trying to go uphill with is what about the people who you can't get a hold of or that take pictures with their 2002 cell phone and that don't present a listing the way that it's it should be presented in this day and age with pictures all over the place and videos and drone footage and all the cool stuff that comes along with listing like don't you expect that right especially when you're up on a Six, seven, eight, nine hundred thousand dollar house. Don't you expect there to be some beautiful magazine quality pictures of that house that you're trying to sell? So yes, actually, a lot of them do expect that, and a lot of them will ask. Mm-hmm. And you know, I've actually last year, I think it was like three or four listings. Um, one in particular, uh, uh, kind of hone in on because it was in River Hills. They reached out to me. They said my agent isn't cutting it for me. Their pictures are horrible. I want you to list my house. And I was trying to figure out why somebody was trying to have a FaceTime chat with me. And I didn't even know this number. (laughs) I didn't know it from a hole in the wall. And I text back saying, sorry, I don't really FaceTime with people. I don't know who you are. So call me. I tried calling you. It's going straight to your voicemail. Call me and let's have a conversation. And when I had the conversation with him, he told me, I'm currently listed, but I want a new agent. And I said, well, my hands are tied. There's nothing I can do or say right now until you fire said agent. Mm-hmm. And then you can call me and we can have a conversation. And unfortunately, in this industry, a lot of people don't do what they're supposed to do when it comes to stuff like that. Mm-hmm. They start talking negative about the other realtors because somebody else is talking negative about that realtor. So I think we need to come together as a group and realize we're all in it together. And if we're doing, you know, not saying everybody has to pay extra money to do drone footage or whatever, but if we all say we're going to do better pictures and we all say we're going to, you know, have each other's backs and not talk negative about one another, we just get along, it would be such a better industry. Yeah. 
Don't know if that's ever going to change, though. No. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to wait and see. So this is when we get into headlines, okay? Being the guests, you get to choose what we're going to search for. So in the past, we've done Florida real estate market news. We've done Tampa housing market. We've done all kinds of stuff like that. So if you're going to sit down to Google right now, what are you going to type in to ask it about real estate news? I would say either military relocation to Tampa or just relocation to Tampa. Let's do relocation just to maybe broaden that a little bit. Mm Mm-hmm. Relocation to Tampa news articles. All right. So the first article that we get a hold of. Two of them, actually. So what this brought back is employers coming. Tampa Life Science Company announces expansion and relocation. Versailles Health is leasing a larger space in downtown Tampa with plans to create 40 new jobs. Tampa-based diversified life science company announces expansion to a larger facility, which plans to add 40 new jobs over the next two to three years. Versailles has leased more than 14,000 square feet in downtown Tampa at 401 South Florida Avenue. The facility is going to provide enough space for the company to consolidate its corporate office and operations, including warehouse and fulfillment functions. 40 new jobs are going to be in laboratory research, analytics and financial planning and analysis, sales and marketing digital marketing and e-commerce, customer service, and warehouse operations. So new employers, new employment positions, always a good thing, right? We love to see that. Oh, yes. This one here, Business Observer, is going to talk about a $435 million Sarasota nonprofit plan to relocate to Tampa. CAN Community Health has been headquartered in Sarasota for since 2018, and it's moving to Tampa. So the organization Can Community Health plans to relocate by the fall of 2024. It's about a year from now, a little more than a year from now. New headquarters inside the German American Club building in Ebor, neighborhood northeast of downtown Tampa, according to a statement. Uh, see, 23,000 square foot property in its current place on Fruitville Road in Sarasota. They paid 4.8 million for that property. Tampa offers us a place where our our team members can easily travel in and out of all of our current markets while providing an unparalleled, diverse, and inclusive quality of life and favorable cost of living, says the chairperson. So there you go. Uh, Does it talk about employees? We don't have a number of employees there. Hmm. One big one. It's not Tampa, unfortunately. But I'm hearing that Disney, Orlando Disney, is relocating... To Louisiana. Like Disney World? Like actual Disney World. Hmm. Seems like a big move. <laughs> it's going to take years, but yeah. that's what I've been hearing. Here's a USA Today article talking about um, New Yorkers are the number one movers to Florida. Found out, we'll find out why. I would have to agree. It <laughs> seems like... yes. There was one day I was on the phone with someone from New York coming here to buy a second home in Tampa over in the Gandy area. And as I was on the phone, I got another phone call that I missed it, took a message, called him right back. 
it was a second guy from New York looking to buy a house in the Wesley Chapel area, second home. Same price range, same general parameters. And I'm like, that messes with me because I remember yes. scenarios more than I remember like last names and people. And so when I, I, I just, that's how my mind works is in scenarios. And so now I've got two of the same <laughs> scenarios. And then I walk up to the front at the, at the front office here and I look out the window and there's a car parked right in front of in the parking spot there with a New York plate on it. And I'm like, this is surreal. You know, I just hung up with two New Yorkers moving here and then there's a car in the parking lot from New York. It's like, it's, they're everywhere. They right? are. They are. I used to say that a lot. A large kiosk at the mall in Hudson Yards, Manhattan beckons you to experience Tampa Bay. New York City subway ads showcase the pristine beaches of St. Petersburg and billboards in Times Square tout the hashtag move to Miami. Okay. But looking at mag- migration numbers, one wonders if Florida needs to even bother advertising. Since at least 2016, the Empire State's topped the list for sending its residents to the Sunshine State. Data from the Census Bureau shows during the coronavirus pandemic, many New Yorkers who could work remotely and who were looking for warmer climates and more affordable housing options left the city in droves. Nearly 65,000 New Yorkers traded their state driver's licenses for Florida's in 2022. According to data from Florida's Department of Highway Safety Motor Vehicles, DMV, according to New York Post, that broke a record set the previous year when roughly 62,000 New Yorkers left for Florida. Aside from the draw of warmer weather and fewer taxes, Florida's pandemic-era government lockdown policies that opened up the state's economy a lot faster than others also helped that in some way. We all knew that. Like, during that whole time, that's when that frenzy was going on, and that's when things were nuts, you know, all the way up until, like, when did it really start stop? Like probably fall of 22 is when it really started to slow down? Yeah, I would say just before fall, actually. Yeah. So the, the very tail end of the summer, it started slowing, but it didn't get so slow that we were dead. It was just slow. Yeah, that and frenzy steady. had stopped the, yes. over the waving appraisals and paying $100,000 over list price and all that craziness that was going on. Nobody with a FHA loan could get a house because why take an FHA loan when they've got four cash offers behind you? Yes. You know, those types of things. But now that that has severely slowed down. Um, so, yeah, that's interesting. So in January, the median sales price of a home in New York State was 486 In Florida, it was 386 okay. But that affordability might be soon ending. Realty Hop's Housing Affordability Index released in December of 22, examining the share of income U.S. households would have to spend on homeownership costs to find out Miami to be the least affordable city, followed by Los Angeles and New York. Mm-hmm. Interesting. The median asking price increased by half a percent from 595 to 598 A family making the average household income of 44000 a year but have to direct 86% of their paycheck towards housing costs. Huh. Interesting. That is interesting. So, you know, those are things that we agree with. We know. We, we learned a little bit about some companies relocating to Tampa and um, where all of our new residents are coming from, and New York's the number one. So that is interesting. One of the guys here I had on, he um, he had experience as a deputy in the – uh, DMV county buildings, you know, where people go get their licenses and mm-hmm. titles and stuff. And he said that you could totally tell that there, just being there, the Hearing amount of the people accents. walking in <laughs> and getting directed to, 
you know, pull this number because you need to get a new license out of state to Florida. And he said that was like the bulk of their business for quite a while. People getting their licenses switched over. I believe it. 65,000 of them here. And I think our Tampa area and its surrounding footprint is sort of a a bit of a sleeper area in Florida because a lot of people are bound for South Florida. You know, they, when they think of Florida, they think of Fort Lauderdale, Miami, Jupiter, West Palm Beach. That's like the Florida in their minds. Mm -hmm. But I feel like Southwest Florida, Fort Myers, Cape Coral, Naples, all the way up the coast, Sarasota, Bradenton, that's been a huge place for people to land. And we're even seeing it here in the quiet suburbs of Tampa. You know, Brandon Valrico, Fishhawk, lots of people inbound here too. So it's interesting that you say that one of the properties I used to manage was in Punta Gorda. Mm-hmm. And I noticed back then that there were a lot of people that would come from pretty much Wisconsin, um, Canada, but it was a lot of New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts, Maine, New Hampshire, Rhode Island. And, and it was just kind of like this upper section and you would see it's everybody that's got snow. They're coming for the winter. Mm -hmm. So I used to ask them, well, why don't you buy a second property here? You know, this is pre-becoming a realtor, trying to figure out, like, why they don't just buy a property. Why spend $3,000 a month to rent a condo when you could buy a house and pay maybe $1,200 a month? And it kind of evens itself out. So a lot of those people said to me they didn't want to be homeowners. So one lady that I kept in touch with all these years, um, she ended up reaching out to me last year, and she was one of my cash buyers. Mm. She sold in Canada, and she came here. And she said, I don't want to go to Punta Gorda. I don't want to be around the people who are coming here just as snowbirds. I said, well, I hate to break it to you, but (laughs) it's all of Florida. doesn't matter where you go. If you're on the road in December through April – you're going to be stuck around snowbirds. So unfortunately, it's how it works. Yeah, yeah, that's how it is. But that's, you know, you've been here long enough to, to understand that. And yep. that's what drives a lot of our cool stuff about the state. You know, that's what keeps our no state income tax is the is our transfer taxes on real estate is much higher than a lot of other states. It is. And I think a lot of times when people come here from out of state, they see these whopper transfer taxes on their deed and they're like whoa what is that for or the the state doc tax the doc stamps and everything and you know i tell them well we don't have a state income tax so a lot of that money comes from property transfer and deed recording so that's just kind of you know pay to play you want the real estate but you don't have state income tax which is a huge huge savings and we don't have excise tax either a lot of new england has an excise tax Mm -hmm. and I mean, God forbid, I didn't pay mine. Oh, gosh. When we first moved here, it was like two years. <laughs> and I ended up getting a warrant for my arrest mm, because wow. I didn't pay Massachusetts excise yeah, tax. They want their money. And we had not turned in our tags on our car. I don't know what we did with them. I, to this day, I still have no idea. But we were supposed to turn them in, and then the excise tax would disappear. Mm. So because we didn't turn them in, they kept charging it. And I ended up having to go to Massachusetts and having to sit before a judge and telling the judge, 
hey, I bought a house. I've, <laughs> I've got Florida plates. And, you know, here's that same car registered in Florida because we only took one car with us. And I said, here's that same car registered in Florida. And it's been registered since this day. So can you, like, back that to this day? And he goes, did you turn in your plates? I said, no, I didn't know I had to. Nobody told me at the DMV here or the DMV there. So I didn't know. And he said, well, that same excise tax you pay every year, now you're paying it. And you can walk out of here and have a payment plan or you can pay it up front when you're, before you leave. And I said, oh, have a nice day. Wow. But, it, I mean, it was thousands of dollars. Yeah, that's another thing driving people out of that area is they tax you on everything. Mm-hmm. Every, and they got the weirdest harebrained ideas for taxes coming through up there. It's like you pay through the nose just to be a resident there. Yes. It's nuts. Crazy. All right. Now we move on to trivia. We're calling this Brain Busters. I'm not good at it. <laughs> you'll be fine. I think you'll be fine. I don't know. I don't know. I haven't had anybody get real, real rough on this yet. Now, our, our record holder is four out of five. Okay. So that's our that's our top. Would love it to get five out of five. You know, be the new record holder. These rules work like Jeopardy. So we've got five categories and you can pick, you know, all five in one category or you can spread them out, do one of each or anywhere in between. Okay. Okay. The categories are going to be general knowledge. Are you smarter than a fifth grader or maybe a 12th grader? Real estate test questions plucked straight from the Florida real estate salesperson. 63 hour study guide test prep. Mm. I tried not to go crazy on those, though. You know, I tried not to get to too obscure. Because I know that they can be pretty nuts. Uh, Florida facts, which is Florida history, geography, news, and politics. Mortgage matters, mortgage terms, products, and processes. And then superheroes, Marvel and DC heroes and villains, as asked by my nine-year-old son, Ben. Ten now. He's ten as of Cinco de Mayo. And you got to be warned that this could get deep. And I tried to rein him in and not let him go too far down a rabbit hole. So... I'm not competing with Ben. <laughs> I know him all too well. <laughs> so those are your five categories. Which one would you like to go for first? Are you smarter than a whatever grader? Okay. Fifth or twelfth, we're not sure. Okay. First question in that category. Now, I should also tell you that I forgot to refill my questions on here. So not every category has five solid questions. All right. Okay. So just so you know, we're going to call a little bit of an audible here. But I've got four in this category. So your first question is, which president is on the $50 bill? Oh, God. Franklin? No. I have no idea. <laughs> no, it's going to be Ulysses Grant. Yeah. Grant is on the on the 50. Franklin Benjamin is on the 100, on the $100 100, bill. 100, yeah. yeah. All about the Benjamins, right? Yeah. So, question number two. Which category? Mm, I already forgot the others. Uh, real estate test questions, Florida facts, mortgage matters, and superheroes. Let's do mortgage matters. Mortgage matters. Okay. Is a child care bill factored into the debt-to-income ratio? Yes. Answer is no. 
because debt to income ratio is only credit debt. Okay. So phone bills, insurance bills, gym memberships. What else we got? Netflix, things of those nature, subscriptions. Those types of things are, are able to be left out of debt to income. Okay. And it's it's true debt to income. Now, bonus fact, child care bill is factored in to VA loans when it comes to residual income. So res- VA loans have debt to income ratio and they have residual income calculations to make sure just because you pass on debt to income, you might not pass on residual income. Residual is what's left over the dollar amount left over after all the bills are paid. Yes. And we look at household size, square footage of the property, and then taxes, insurance, everything else added into that. So your residual is going to be a very important number. A lot of people don't realize that in VA loans. Well, I do realize that because I work a lot of VA. Mm-hmm. So that's why I was saying yes, because yep. I know so, that you factor that in. Mm-hmm. It is. It's a, it's a thing. But in your general debt to income, it's not a thing. So... You're on the right track, though. All right. So that's question number two. We got three more left, and we're looking at general knowledge, real estate questions, Florida facts, mortgage matters, and superheroes. Uh, let's do... Mm, I was going to say Ben's questions, but I don't want to. <laughs> He's so into it. Well, I I tried to make <laughs> him... It's like, give me casual questions, Ben. Like, you can't give me these deep, deep cut, like comic book type stuff you know because those comic books are there's a whole world behind oh gosh, that yeah yes. not just the movies <laughs> all right let's go with an easy ben question all right i'll probably get it wrong <laughs> i don't know what material is captain america's shield made from iron i'll give you a hint it came from wakanda Oh, I have no idea. No? Okay. Vibranium. (laughs) Yep. That's the word I'm looking for. My kids could tell you that. (laughs) All right. Two more questions. General knowledge, real estate, Florida facts, mortgage matters, superheroes. Let's do general knowledge. General knowledge. What disease was commonly spread and, and had by sailors on pirate ships? Am I supposed to know this? I don't know. General, Um, vitamin C is a cure for it. That's why they had supplements and oranges and stuff on their their ships. uh, It's got to be something that was given to them by the rats on the ship or something. It's really the lack of vitamin C, I think, is what causes it. Really? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. That narrows it down to nothing in my brain. Scurvy. (laughs) Okay. Never heard of it, but sure. Okay. All right. Well, there's not many pirate ships up in no, Massachusetts. No. So, well, I, I mean, that's where they they operated out of back there, back then, right? The Mayflower, yeah. <laughs> All right. Final question. Categories. General knowledge. Real estate test questions. Florida facts. Mortgage matters. Superheroes. Let's do another mortgage. Mortgage matters. I'm not testing Ben. <laughs> You started real estate in 2015. Yes. It's bad of me because I can't remember when the change happened, but maybe you'll be, you might know this. The prior version 
of the loan estimate used to be called what? And it's still used today, but not by in, but not by mortgage people. The HUD. So we're going to accept that because the closing disclosure is the HUD and the loan estimate is a good faith estimate. Yes. The GFE. They're one and the same. So we're going to go with that. Yay. One right. All right. <laughs> so there you go. There's trivia. Thank you for playing. Yeah. Thanks for having me. <laughs> All right. So you now. Can tell Ben he nailed me. Yeah. He's going to be super excited about that. I do have to reel him in, though, because he's he's asking me. He's got another question on here. How many Robins are there? Like seven. There's so many. Five. Is it, That's the actual answer. Okay. Is five. Because they're all from, like, a different timeline. Mm-hmm. And he knows this for some reason. I don't know. And then another one is, in the comics, does Spider-Man ever become a zombie? Yes or no? Yes. Yeah. He does. That's correct. There you go. So you know more. Well, I have boys. I didn't know Spider-Man became a zombie. I'd never seen that I one. I have four boys. <laughs> I'll break that down for you. All right, Janet, thanks for playing Brain Busters. Uh, it's always a fun time. Wanted to say we're at the end of our episode here, and thank you so much for coming on and joining me. I hope uh, our listeners got a good insight into the way that you do business and how you work and maybe some insight into the real estate industry as a whole. So. Well, Can thanks you tell for having us? me. Yeah, absolutely. It's been my pleasure. Can you tell us how to reach you, how to get a hold of you? So the easiest way to reach me is to call me. I answer my phone unless it says potential spam on there. <laughs> I'm answering my phone. So, you know, call me 813-546-5292. Text me if you're not up to calling. Find me on social media. I'm on every platform. Yeah, we'll put all your links and number and everything in the description. So it'll be down below here in the video or the podcast description perfect see it well thanks again for coming and uh showing up we appreciate you and i hope you had a good time on your first podcast i sure did all right take care we'll see you again next week everyone bye